a giant feast with wine from Madeira, a volcanic eruption, and a celebratory dinner. This week, we're visiting the Portuguese community of New Bedford, Massachusetts. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where we try all the best drinks and dishes from around the world at DestinationEatDrink.com and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, I'm talking with Maria Lawton, creator and host of the TV show Maria's Portuguese Table. Maria talks with me about some of the places she visited for season two of her show and how she celebrated getting season two on the air. So what was the celebratory meal like, Maria? Do you remember? Because I know you. <laughs> I think you're celebrating after you find this. Uh, you find out this information. What do you? Uh, what do you go and make in the kitchen? <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? We went out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Better. <laughs> what are you kidding me? I've been working hard. I've been working hard. <laughs> I ain't going in. I ain't going in the kitchen. <laughs> We're going out. Before we talk to Maria, could you do me a favor and review the podcast and give us five stars on your podcast app? It really helps push the show out to more listeners who enjoy food and travel just like you. And thank you so very much. Maria Lawton is a cookbook author and award-winning TV producer and host of the show Maria's Portuguese Table on PBS. She recently finished the second season of her show. It is now airing nationwide on public broadcasting. Maria and I talk about growing up in the Portuguese community of New Bedford, Massachusetts, where she spoke Portuguese at home and English everywhere else. Maria also tells me about the act from the U.S. Congress that brought her family to the United States and why so many Portuguese revere John Kennedy. Then we have some wine from Madeira and the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament in New Bedford. And Maria tells me about making one of the most famous Portuguese dishes called bacalao abras. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Maria Lawton, the Azorean green bean. So great to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Or should I say Bemvindo? <laughs> yes, you can say that. Yeah, thank you for having me back. I, you know, I I just I think the last podcast we did together, I have had so many people reach out to me after hearing our conversation, which is really great. Um, so this is wonderful to have me back again. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Oh, it's great to hear. I'm glad people heard it and enjoyed it. I wanted to, first off, congratulate you on the new season of Maria's Portuguese Table. This is season two. I've been looking forward to it for quite a while. And before we start talking about it, I do want to point out to the audience something that a lot of people may not know, which is when you create a show for PBS, it's different than creating a show for any other place. Because what happens is, for you, Maria, you go out and you create this independently. PBS doesn't give you a pile of money and say, go out and make this TV show. You have to do it on your own. Find a way to pay for everything that you do, whether it's you know camera people, editing, travel, lots of travel, all of this stuff. And then you have to go and find sponsors 
And then, if that weren't <laughs> enough, you have to go and sell it to all the stations. They, they don't just say, oh, PBS is going to pick this up and all the stations suddenly carry it. No, you have to go to the stations and get them to agree to carry it. So this is a huge, massive undertaking. I know because I talk to a lot of folks. I have friends who make these shows. I know what a, what a big deal it is to get this done for PBS. So congratulations not only on the show, but for this entire Herculean effort that it took to bring it to us. You know, uh, there is a, a slight chance I might be crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. I'm exhausted just listening to what I had to do. Um, and it is, it is a, a Herculean task because, you know, you have this idea, you you think, you know, this this makes perfect sense and everyone is going to agree that, you know, they'll support me as a sponsor or but it's not. It, it it takes so many no's before there's yeses. There's so many um, people telling you that, you know, you can't do it or it's not going to be done or, you know, whatever. And you just got to get past all of that and keep the uh, keep your eye on the prize. And that is to get it all done, to find the group of people to produce it for you because I have no idea how to produce a show. So I've got to find the right production crew. And I use the same director producer that did my first season. But this time around, he brought with him all Emmy award-winning people with him. So the sound engineer has won a few Emmys. The other camera person has won a few Emmys. Of course, Dean has won a few Emmys. Uh, there was someone, the one who worked in the background doing the editing. He's won Emmys. So it was a group of men who just um, like their heart and soul were in it as much as mine were because we all could see the beauty of, of it all. And the first season you do it. And, you know, I did it, Brett, and I'm thinking, okay, it's one season. You know, if it ever happens again, amazing. But I know I did one. I know there's a market for it. I know people loved it. It won awards. It did all that. But then the that COVID, you know, that thing that we all went through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and after, like, around the time where things are going national, that I'm receiving all these awards, I'm getting Emmy nominated, I, I won a couple of telly awards, I, I won a couple of taste awards, and, and then everything stopped. And I, it went from a almost like, oh my goodness, how great this is, I've got to do another season, to all of a sudden, absolute stop everything. Because part of what we do is travel. And we're looking at, you know, people coming from California. And then we were going to the Azores. And for a while, everything was shut down. You couldn't travel abroad. And then when you did uh, early on, you had to quarantine for a week. So it's bad enough that I have to raise all that money to get us out there and to pay for people and all that. But now I would have to add on another week times six people. So the money that I would need. And, and not only that, I was afraid someone would get sick. 
And then right. we're in a foreign country. Um, and I, I just, we had to wait till I felt it was safe for me to bring people with me. And we had to wait. And in the meantime, it was me looking for money. And you're absolutely right. You know, I raised a certain dollar amount and we went, okay, we can film four. We can film four because we've got eight, eight for another season. We did eight the first season. We've got eight for the second season. And though, so we filmed the first four and then I run out of money and then I have to raise more to work on those four. And then I've got to find more money and, you know, uh, let's film the next four. And, you know, so it was a constant of raising money, finding money. I have to tell you, I was at just before Christmas was just before Christmas. I had, I needed $50,000. That was my last amount for me to pay off what I had raised, what I needed. I mean, I had raised and paid and raised and paid and all that. And I was down to my 50,000. And I'm like, I said to my husband, I'm like, okay, this has got to be like, we've got to pray long and hard for this. Cause if this doesn't happen, you know, cause we've got to have this done uh, to get it out for 2023, you know, we're going to have to go into our bank account because, and we did that for season one. We, we, pretty much paid for more than half of the season because we couldn't find enough sponsors. And I'm like, okay, we're going to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to go in our, you know, savings. And out of the blue, I get Dunkin' Donuts or Dunkin' reaching out to me and saying, and I had like, this is corporate. And I had sent them messages. I had followed up. Things had like all of a sudden quieted down. I, I, It was like, okay, they're not answering my emails anymore. So I'm thinking, okay, they're not going to. So they came up with money and I went, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now I had still more to phrase, but it wasn't the total 50. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, okay. So if we have to, we can. No word of a lie. It was just, I mean, like, I get a call from UMass, um, and it's the um, the Portuguese, the, the Center for Portuguese Studies and Culture out of UMass Dartmouth. And they said, um, you know, we're going through your, your application that you asked for, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And so she says, you know, this is what we're going to, we're going to donate for you. And it was the exact amount that I was ah, missing. <laughs> Perfect. It was literally like, oh, okay, okay. So I know that there's more things that I need to spend money on. I know that there's still stuff that, you know, little things here and there and all that stuff that I know I'm going to, it's going to be, you know, us that's doing it because this is it, you know. Um, but the, it was down to the wire. And I I just, you know, I said this to my daughters because, you know, of course, when that happened, I, I sent a, a message, you know, a WhatsApp message for like the whole family going, I just got the rest. And it was like, 
And it, you know, it's just like, you can't give up. You can't give up. You can't give up. Um, even when it looks like, you know, it's, it's impossible. It can, it can happen. It can, you just, we can't give up. So what was the celebratory meal like, Maria? Do you remember? Because I know you, <laughs> I think you're celebrating after you find this, you find out this information. What do you, uh, what do you go and make in the kitchen? <laughs> uh, are you kidding me? We went out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Better. <laughs> what are you kidding me? I've been working hard. I've been working hard. <laughs> I, ain't going in, I ain't going in the kitchen. <laughs> We're going out. I'm going out and celebrating. So, but let me tell you, and right now we're still in the weeds. We're still in the weeds uh, for the simple fact that, you know, there's last minute little things that need to, there's always last minute things that need to be done. And, you know, just yesterday it was like, okay, Maria, can you look at these, you know, um, whether it's a promo or whether it's a poster that, that someone is putting together or, or whether it's, you know, this or that, it's still like, little things working with a distributor now because, you know, I, I have a distributor, you know, they, um, and so besides, you know, airing regionally here, you know, in it'll go nationwide. And so it's, and that's separate rules and separate things and separate, you know, um, so yeah, it, it, it continues, but it's all good. It's all good, Brett. It's all good. Let's talk a little bit about some of the episodes that were in, that are in this season of Maria's Portuguese Table. And I wanted to start talking about a place that I'm fairly familiar with, which is New Bedford, Massachusetts. Now, you know that I lived in Rhode Island for yes. 20, 20 plus years. And when I came there from Illinois, I had no idea the size of the Portuguese community in New Bedford. I knew there was a big Italian community where we were, where I was moving to in Rhode Island, but I didn't know about the Portuguese community. Then I get there and there's Portuguese newspapers and radio stations and TV stations and tons of great restaurants and bakeries and stuff like that. So I think probably folks who aren't from New England, who aren't from Massachusetts, probably don't understand how pervasive Portuguese culture is in New Bedford. So why don't you talk a little bit about that just to uh, help folks understand what was going on in New Bedford? Well, as you know, uh, you know, I immigrated here uh, to the United States with my family when I was six years old. And the spot that we um, ended up settling in was New Bedford, the south end of New Bedford, to be precise. And um, and why the reason of New Bedford as well as Fall River, because we're talking about two separate you know cities within um, a few minutes of each other, um, is that majority of the Azorian and people from the mainland came here, whether it was for fishing. Um, we had a, a huge, um, we still do. It's one of the most lucrative ports in the United States is here out of New Bedford, Mass., so we had a lot of Portuguese that continued, that fished back at, in the old country and came here and continued to fish. And then the other was they were we were labor um, in the textile mills because um, that is what was the major um, jobs for immigrants when they came here. And so we lived in a three-family home, which is 
the main reason these three family homes were built, one apartment on top of each other, was to house um, all the labor for the factories. So, and when, when I could go further back, I mean, we've been, the Portuguese have been part of Massachusetts and especially New Bedford since the whaling time. Uh, the whaling industry, um, you know, they would use, they would go to the Azores, pick up people there um, who were used to being on the water and fishing and all that stuff and coming here and working in the whaling industry. So we, and I can even go further back uh, into the Revolutionary War. We've had Portuguese people here fighting the Revolutionary War. So it's... um. I mean, we've been here for a very long time. Let's put it that way. We just assimilate very well. But in here, <laughs> in um, in New Bedford, we have a long history of the Portuguese being here. And I think if it's not one point, it was almost like 50% of the population in New Bedford um, could trace themselves back to Portuguese ancestry. Um, so it is a very large uh, number. And, um, and of course, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents and my maternal family uh, was here, um, you know, several, um, several years before my parents uh, came here. My mom was the last one in her family to immigrate over here. Uh, my dad was the only one who immigrated from his family. All the rest of my family is still um, in the Azores. So yeah, but it is, it, it's an enclave. We have a Portuguese enclave. It's, um, you came here and you had our, 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 I should say, our my neighborhood was, everyone spoke Portuguese. It was almost like every village uh, that was back there came here and all the people within the village all lived next to each other. Because my mom knew so-and-so, you know, Senora Montego, who lives here because she came from this village that's next to ours and she knew the family and like everybody knew everybody. So when I was walking to school, I had many eyes on me. So when I misbehaved, <laughs> my parents knew. So when I got home, they already knew what I did to misbehave. <laughs> it was, it, it was incredible. So you'd walk down the street and you'd have a Portuguese fish market. You'd have several Portuguese bakeries. You'd have uh, little grocery stores. You'd have the fabric store. You'd have, um, you know, all of these different things that you would need would be all within walking distance of each other. There was no need for a car because even the church, you'd go to mass and the mass would be said in Portuguese. And then they would go to work and everyone around them was speaking Portuguese. But Maria was, you know, I came at six, um, total immersion in school. There was no bilingual program at the time. Um, and so I had to speak English. So outside the home, I spoke English. Inside the home, we had to speak Portuguese. And a lot of people my age grew up that way. And then, um, but I can say, you know, there were plenty of people who were like, okay, we're here in the United States. We're not going to speak Portuguese anymore. We're going to assimilate. Right. This is it, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. It was that. It, it was just a, it's a Portuguese enclave. And it's the same. Actually, there are more Azorians 
in um, here, here in New Bedford, we have a good mix. We have people from Fayal, from Piku, from the mainland, um, you know, say it all. You know, we've got a mix um, of people from the islands and stuff. When you go to um, Fall River, you have a larger Azorian population. There are so many Azorians in Fall River that they've been nicknamed the 10th Island. Okay. There are more there. And it's the same thing. It's the um, people that came in in the uh, early, you know, people were coming over in the 20s. They would take a ferry to Boston and come in, work for some years, leave, go back, bring their money, come back. It would go back and forth. Uh, until war, the war happened. And then when the war happened, it was, you know, first war, things changed and you couldn't do that again. And then you had more people coming in and out. And then the big um, explosion of the Capolinos in Fayal kind of changed our history. And that is, you know, you had in a volcano that erupted that lasted for 13 months it um it covered the whole island of Fayal in ash. And so people were starving. Their animals couldn't survive. They couldn't grow anything. Uh, you know, no one died because of it, of the eruption, which is a miracle in itself. But people were um were just, you know, could not live that way. Um, and so, you know, we had the Refugee Act that was signed by uh, at that time, he was a, a congressman, Kennedy, um, and uh, Pastore from Rhode Island. It was the two of them that wrote the Refugee Act that opened the doors to more Azorians coming out because there was a quota. It was always a quota of immigrants coming in. So you met the quota, you couldn't have it. So they un- they undid that quota. And so when you have people here of Azorian uh, that have come over to the United States or Canada, you can trace that back to a specific time. And, and it, it, it goes with, along with the Capolinos, the eruption of that volcano. That volcano changed the lives of the Azorian people. And, um, and I am here. I know I am here because of that quota being opened up. I know I am. It's uh, it's incredible. So it's um, it's still very. Uh, I didn't think it would be like I knew the story, I knew about it and all that, but I had never kind of told. I was always like, I'm an immigrant. I know I am. I'm a I'm a Luso American because I am. Uh, I'm I have dual citizenship. I I am a a citizen of Portugal, but I am a citizen of the United States. You know, I am who I am. I'm half, I feel like I'm half, half kind of thing. But one of the places that we recorded, we filmed uh, for the season two is Fayal. We did film in Fayal. And going to that volcano, the Capolinos, going there and going into their museum, which is like a bunker underground, um, I felt like I was in a 007 movie. And you go underneath and they're showing you all of the all what happened on that island. And then you see the paper, the actual paper that was signed 
by Kennedy and Pastore that, <laughs> that did what it did. And it made me cry. It, I broke down and cried. We had to stop filming. We had to stop filming because it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks that we were all refugees. We were never called refugees. We never, you know, but we were all refugees. We all came under that. And it made perfect sense on why when I grew up, you would go into everyone's Portuguese home and there would be always two pictures up on the wall. Somewhere in their house, there would be two pictures up on the wall. And it would always be the Pope, whatever Pope is there, you know, whatever the Pope would be up. And there would always be something with Kennedy. There would always be President Kennedy. And now I get it. It was like, okay. That's crazy because you always hear, and I would see this too when I lived in, when I lived in New England, if you went into an Irish house, you would see a portrait of Kennedy by the Pope. Yes. But I never, I never thought that you would see it in a Portuguese uh, family's house. That oh. is an incredible story. And yeah. I'm so glad that uh, there's a Rhode Island connection to that as well with uh, Pastore. I, I'm trying in, in my brain, I'm trying to think back. I think he was governor at one point, but he must have been a congressman yes. to sponsor that bill yes. with, uh, with, uh, with Kennedy. John Kennedy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. It, like, you know, you, you grow up, you hear about it, you know about it. But when I was actually there, mm. <laughs> oh boy. Well, let me take you back to New Bedford real quick because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Brett. <laughs> no, it's, it's, that was a wonderful story and I'm so glad you told it. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the culture, the Portuguese culture in New Bedford, because I think I told you this the last time I had you on, Maria. All of the things that you say ring very true to me because my girlfriend tells very similar stories about growing up in an Italian neighborhood, in an Italian family. And the stories that you tell also sound very similar to the stories that her father would tell about growing up in Providence. And, you know, everything's in one neighborhood and you don't have to go very far. And also one thing that I thought about when I watched your show was how culture, your neighborhood, your society, your social group rotates, uh, revolves around the church. And one of the big social aspects of the year would be these specific feast days for the church. And in your show, you went to the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament in New Bedford, which looked like a great party. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, it is the, the largest Portuguese festival in the U.S. It is the largest Portuguese festival in the U.S. It is a feast of the Blessed Sacrament. It was put together by uh, the people who came from uh, Madeira. And they start, they continued this festival they had in Madeira here in New Bedford as giving thanks for them arriving here safely and and what is first a uh, religious um feast in in all in all of it. it it really is a giving thanks um then it became let's celebrate and it is four days of celebrating and it's 
celebrating uh, the Madeiran culture, the Portuguese culture. So it is dances and music and singing. And um, and in between, you've got the Madeira wine, which, as we know, there is history behind Madeira wine and that, you know, our forefathers, you know, toasted (laughs) with Madeira wine when they signed the Declaration of Independence, which is incredible. And, uh, and, and there is, you know, the Carne de Spet, it's the Bull de Caco, which is the, what they, um, all dishes that come from Madeira, but it is all original. This is the, the thing of it is that it is a celebration, uh, and giving thanks. And the committee for um, the Blessed Sacrament, the Madeira, the committee that takes care of it, they do, they raise money, whatever money they raise on these feasts, they give back to the community, which is all within that giving thanks and giving back, which is beautiful. And I got to film with them before, like a few days before the feast began. And they, it's a fraternal order and they were just the most amazing men um and so um giving and so they were just incredible they were just incredible and the the love that they have for their culture the love that they have for the community the love that they have for you know for doing good and for giving back is just it's it's just beautiful they're just really wonderful, wonderful committee. I, I loved it. I loved it. And, um, and then to go back and to hear the, and to, you know, all the fun of it. And we're looking at so many people that come from everywhere for the feast and they come from Canada. They come from Portugal. They come from everywhere in the United States. They, it's like a homecoming. It's a homecoming. And so everyone goes back. Um, they'll pick you know, those dates to have vacation so that they can be down here so they can be at the Madeira feast, um, hmm. you know, the blessed sacrament feast. So it is, it is so, so special. And I, I, I had to, I had to film it. I, I had to film it. It is, it is absolutely an important part of our community. It's an important part of our culture. And it's something that, you know, some people go, oh, I, I hear about it, but I really don't know about it if they're not around here. You know what I mean? Or if they have they think they know it, but they haven't seen it, I would hope that once they see it on the screen, they're going to go, oh, I'd like to be part of that um, because it is so much fun. And everybody's welcome. So, you know, you don't have to be Portuguese. You don't have to be from Madeira to enjoy it. No, 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 no. And it looks like a great party. (laughs) It is a great party. And then they have like certain mornings, like Sunday morning and, you know, Saturday morning where they have like uh, specifically for family, like, so you can bring your children. They have some rides, Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really adorable. So they really open it up for everyone. It, and and it, you're right. You don't have to be. Well, as they said, when you're there, you're Madeiran. So <laughs> everyone is Madeiran when you're there. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing at all. <laughs> that's a really no. great thing. <laughs> no, because people from Madeira know how to have fun. Oh, <laughs> There's one they... thing I've learned being here in Portugal. Uh, you go to a Madeiran party, you're going to have a good time. Oh, the, you really do. 
I want to talk about a dish that you made on your show called uh, Bacalaua Brass. Yes. And you made that in New Bedford at a cafe called uh, Tina Marie's. Tia and Maria's. Tia uh, Maria's. Tia Mar- yeah, I said Tina. Tia <laughs> Maria's. <laughs> That's okay. And, uh, <laughs> and this is a really important dish in Portuguese culinary culture. So I thought I'd let you talk about it a little bit on the podcast and, and tell people about it and why it's so important. Well, you know, codfish is um, salted cod, I should say. Salted cod is any is the Portuguese um, dish. I mean, salted cod is the, the king. <laughs> you have, you know, 365, uh, well, I have a recipe book that's over a thousand recipes of bacalhau. So, and, um, and just like the, the Italians or, you know, bacalhau is, is a part of our, our eating the salted cod and the bacalhau has a history behind it. Uh, again, we had our Portuguese, Portuguese, I should say, Codfish, even though codfish is a Portuguese um, equivalent of the dish, you can you can say Portugal is is, is where all the dishes are. That is the main thing is cod. Uh, it is not fished in Portuguese waters, so it it's a national dish that is not a fish that can be caught in our waters. So what the Portuguese sailors had to do, fishermen, is they had to go to Newfoundland in Canada, off the coast of Canada, as well as Norway. And so the bacalhau that you buy, like the best bacalhau you can buy, will come from either Canada or Norway. Those are the best. You, you you can't get any better. And and that is where our fish comes from. Uh, and then, of course, because of the trek back to, um, to the mainland, you salted it. And what they would do is they would um, salt it and the sun would dry it out. They don't do that now. Now it's a whole different process and stuff. But that is how they were able to preserve the fish, to bring it into and Hence the reason we have salted cod. Um, there is, um, the dish is just history in a plate uh, because it is, it is us. It, it, it is who we are. It is our dish. <laughs> I can't say anymore. Cod is king. Cod is king. It's so true. You go into the grocery stores here and you'll see the salted dried cod literally stacked up as tall as I am. I'm six, I'm over six feet tall and you'll see it all stacked up there and people will, and there's these big, I don't even know how to describe it because it's like three feet of cod that you just, that the ladies will pick up and they'll, you know, buy it and then they go home and they'll rehydrate it and they'll make the, uh, and they'll make these dishes with the bacalao. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. It really is. And there's a way to pick your salted cod. And I I always um, tell people you've got to take the salt, the, the dried piece of fish. Because that, you know, people don't know sometimes that we see our on a plate, but you really never see it like beforehand, how it looks beforehand. 
But for those that are shopping for bakaya, uh, you know, you're going in, you're going to find these, um, you know, separated or in piles, and you literally go through those piles. You just, you know, you can't be shy. You got to go and you got to go through it to see which one has the good belly. You want that meat. You want that belly to be, um, you know, the center of it, to have a nice amount of of uh, fish there. Because when you rehydrate it, when you take out that salt and you rehydrate it all, it's going to puff up some. You know, you're going to you're going to have a little bit more of what you think you have there. And but the key is to see how much you have to begin with. And you need to look at that belly and see if how much is there. And there are some that are very flat. You don't see anything. You don't see a belly. Everything is too. Oh, you're not going to get much fish out of that one. You know, you'll have fish, but it won't be depending on what you're making. If you're making something where you're going to be shredding it, it's okay. You know what I mean? You can buy little bits and pieces here and there because it doesn't matter. You're not going to be cutting it and putting it on a plate to look nice. But if you're cutting it, if you're roasting it, if you're doing it in the oven, you're doing it in one piece, you're, you know, it depends on what you're doing with it. Uh, you want that extra, you know, in it. Uh, I know plenty of people now who um, now can go to the freezer, even at the Portuguese markets here, and already buy you know, portion sized bacalhá that's been, you know, rehydrated and it's done and then all it's ready is you need to defrost it and cook it. Um, I, I like the whole, the whole process. I like going, I like picking them up. I like looking at it. <laughs> I like to see <laughs> what, how I want it cut because you can have the person behind the counter cut it for you. So what am I going to do with it, depending on how I want it cut? Do I want the, the sides cut off first, those flaps cut out first, and then the center cut out into portions so that I know if I make a stew, I'm going to have this set up so I already have it set, you know what I mean, in, in portion size. Um, and then I like coming home. I like what I do now is I desalt it. I bring it home. I desalt the whole thing. I personally, I only do it for two days because I like my fish salty. There are people who do three, four days. That's too much for me because now you're taking out all the salt and, uh, and then you've got to add back salt and it just makes no sense to me. I like that flavor. I like that briny. I like all of that flavor in it. And so I do it for two days. I make sure it's desalted. And then I put it in portion size in freezer bags or freezer containers and I freeze it. And then when I'm ready to use it, all I have to do is defrost it. I don't have to go through the process of desalting and doing all that stuff. It's already done for me. And, uh, and then I can cook it, you know, then I can boil it, then I can, you know, and use it for, you know, little pieces, or I can roast them. I can, you know, pan sear it, whatever the heck I feel like doing. Um, but that's how I, I like to do it. I like to desalt it myself. I personally, I don't like buying that already done. I don't know how they did it. I'm not going to go that way. I, I like, I like the extra work. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you, you talked about all these different bacalao recipes. What exactly is the bacalao abras? Uh, bacalao abras is um, you have your bacalao, your, your fresh cod. I'm mean, sorry, your salted cod. 
that you have uh, bought, you have, you can actually buy bits and pieces of it already. And that's the, really the cheapest way to go, especially if you're going to do a, a bakayal brash, because it's small little pieces that you're going to be breaking it up into. So um, you can buy small pieces and it's already done for you, but, and it's a lot cheaper than buying a whole big um, thing of fish, just a FYI. And, um, and so what you do is you desalt it, you have it, um, you cook it so that you're able to now break it up into small pieces and kind of leave it aside. Then you have potatoes and you can, um, you're going to cut the potatoes into almost like French fry. Um, and you're going to fry them up and you're going to leave that aside. And there are some people who buy um, like potato chips in straw form, like a straw potatoes kind of thing. And some people like using that instead of frying because it's already done. But once again, I like the old school. I like the potatoes. I want to make sure that um, it's done the traditional way. Um, and so you make sure that you cut that up, you cut your potatoes, you fry them, they're all done, you leave it aside. And then what you're going to do in a frying pan, you're going to saute your onions and uh, in olive oil and some butter. I always like to do the both. Uh, one of the tips that I always got from someone that I went, yes, that makes perfect sense, um, is you put your olive oil, uh, I'm sorry, you put your uh, yeah, you put your olive oil and your butter in a frying pan. And when your butter is melted, that is the time to put in the onions to fry because that's when the oil is hot. You want to make sure that your oil is hot enough to be able to fry it. And because um, if you put it in too soon, your potatoes can be soggy and you don't want that. Yep. It'll absorb no. more oil. So you always want to make sure that um, it's a, a nice fry where you don't, you know, oversaturate your potatoes. So you do that, put that off the, uh, you put your onions in, you, um, you know, you do your, your sauteing, you put some garlic in there, lots of garlic. I love that garlic. And then you're going to be adding in your, um, your cod that you already have uh, pretty much boiled and you've put into small little pieces because you've de-skinned it, deboned it, and cut it all, put it all in little pieces. And now you add that in there and saute it together really quickly. And then you're going to add your fried potatoes uh, in that also. And last but not least, you're going to add scramble uh, eggs that you've scrambled, like you've have on the side, let's say, depending on how many people you're making it for. You've got your eggs on the side in a bowl. You've mixed it. You've added salt, pepper, and all kinds of seasonings in there. If you want some extra spice, you can always put that in the eggs. That's how I like it. And you mix that all up together and you throw that into the salt, into the frying pan. And now you're cooking that egg, which becomes a scrambled egg with the cod, with the fried potatoes and the onions and the garlic and all of that in there. And of course, you add your salts, your salt, your seasonings to what you prefer on there, on that. And I, I salt all along the way. I salt with the onions, then I salt a little bit, a little bit after, because you want to build on all those flavors, and it goes into the, uh, into it all. And then once that egg is cooked, everything has kind of, kind of put together. You put that on a plate, 
And then you toss on top, you um, cut up some fresh parsley and you add that on top. And it is a delicious, amazing dish. And it's that simple. But when you get it, you look at it and you go, oh my God, what the heck is this? Like there's fried potatoes, there's egg, there's there's codfish, there's, ooh, there's a little hit, right. there's a kick. Where's that kick from? Oh, oh my goodness. It's so fresh. Oh, it's the parsley. Oh, the garlic. Oh, it's like, it has all of these flavors that come into it that are just incredible, just incredible. And I made the dish number one with, uh, with Jessica, who is the owner of, uh, of Tia Maria's number one, it's her mother's dish. It was her grandmother taught her mother and her mother taught her. And it is my husband, one of my husband's favorite dishes when we are there at that restaurant and they have it on special, they don't have it all the time, but when they have it on special, um, that is what he gets. That is his favorite dish. Um, and so I got to make it with her and then we served her parents, which it was so beautiful because she is, Jessica is just a really amazing woman. She had in her mind what she wanted to do. She did it and she's still doing it, but her family is what, you know, is the, in the center of it all. And to be able to make that dish with her, which was very special uh, for so many reasons. And then for me and her to, for me to share it and send it there and have them taste it and go, how is it? And they're like, this is perfect. This is, you did it perfectly. It was like, and to see them talk about Jessica and how proud they are of her, but everything that she does, the, the family is always in the center of it all. Everything is in the center. That is, that is what motivates her and what brings her to do what she does. It is this, you know, her story, her family's story. And it's all in food. It's all in her food, which is just incredible. Just incredible. And her parents are the sweetest people. Just the sweetest. Yeah. yeah I. It, it was a, a beautiful, sweet moment to be able to do that. Well, Maria, we've talked about these great dishes in New Bedford. We've talked a little bit about the Azores. I want to talk more about the Azores and the new season of uh, your show, Maria's Portuguese Table. Would you be able to come back next week and do another episode with us? Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. I I, I so enjoy talking about all of this with you. So yes, that would be that would be a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, there you go. Maria tells such heartwarming and emotional stories. I'm always so happy to have her on the show. And like I said, she'll be back next week to talk more about season two of Maria's Portuguese Table. During our talk, Maria brought up the Azorian Refugee Act of 1958, co-sponsored by Senators John Kennedy from Massachusetts and John Pastore from Rhode Island. And I mentioned during that conversation that since I lived in Rhode Island, I knew the name John Pastore and thought he was governor of the state, which it turns out he was from 1945 to 1950 before he was elected to the Senate. So I just wanted to clear that little bit of business up. I also found out that Pastore was the very first Italian-American elected to the Senate, which is 
to me crazy that it took until 1950 for that to happen, but there it is. Okay, that's your Rhode Island history lesson for today. That's also it for this week. If you enjoyed the show, I've got links to Maria's other appearances on the podcast, as well as the places she talked about on this episode. You can get that in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED236. And while you're waiting for next week's show, head over to destinationeatdrink.com. I just posted a story about a pastry from the Portuguese town of Agitao. Read that at destinationeatdrink.com slash blog. I also just posted a video about a very untouristy neighborhood in Lisbon called Alvalade. You can see that by going to destinationeatdrink.com and clicking on the video tab or going to my YouTube channel at Destination Eat Drink 946. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who soaks his bacalao in scotch, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.